gorgeous, and welcome to the Lipstick Network, a place and space where we see, celebrate, and love one another. I am Charity Golden. I'm your host. I want to start by saying that this interview was taped about a month ago, so before the deaths of Mr. Aubrey, Miss Taylor, and Mr. Floyd, before the protests and the riots and the arson, but during systematic racism and cultural divide. So there are some truths here. It's all about mental wellness. It's all about how to deal with anxiety, how to break chains, how to heal. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Chandra Davis. She's a friend of mine. We are on a board together. Dr. Chandra Davis, Dr. Davis has a master's in professional counseling. She has a master's and PhD in clinical psychology, a postdoc in health psychology, and her doctoral studies are in children and adolescents. She's here to demystify therapy. So if you've always been like, I don't go to therapy, I'm not crazy. She is not, that's not what that's about. She is warm and brilliant and funny and authentic, dedicated in seeking. She advocates for to make changes right now that aren't working for you, not tomorrow. And this is a principle of dialectical behavioral therapy. We'll get into that. We'll get into things that cause anxiety, ways to prevent PTSD, how to take care of yourself so that you can take care of your home and your family and your children, how to break chains of racism and shame and judgment There's a lot in this episode. We end with this very poignant question. And I asked her, I said, how do we get to healing? And she says, you face it straight on and you do the work. So let's do the work on ourselves so we can empower our families and change the world. That's what we're here for. Let's go. All right. Hi. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm well. So here today we're with Dr. Chandra Davis. She's going to introduce herself, share a little bit about her background. The point of this podcast in general is to see, celebrate, and love women, the extraordinary women all over the world um, that happen to be in my community that I just want to say, I think you are extraordinary. You do these ordinary things that are extraordinary and you change people's lives. And, you know, during this time in this season of of need of of isolation, I think that there is a, such a need for for women like you, um, healthcare professionals like you, and so I just wanted to talk a little bit today about how to tool people, how for them to you know lean more on grace versus judgment. Um, that you know things that happen in quarantine don't have to dictate the rest of your life. Kind of, we'll just see how this this conversation develops. But I wanted to say thank you for your time and your and your service and your calling and um, this conversation. So introduce yourself. Well, thank you for the honor to be here. Um, I am Dr. Chandra Davis. Um, I am a jack of many trades, I guess uh, is a better way to say it. Um, Full time, I am one of the program directors for Chrysalis Health. We provide mental health services all over the state of Florida in various capacities. I am also, um, last year I launched my business, Davis Synergetic Development, where I provide um, individual family 
um, therapy services, and I also service different organizations who um, need any type of consulting in reference to mental health, um, the mental health arena. Um, I also am on the board of gyms. Which is um, how we know each other. Go gyms. Girls are gyms. Girls empower mentally for success. Yes. Yes. Breaking the cycle of poverty, empowering these young, brilliant women to step beyond their circumstances to fasten hold of these opportunities that God's gifted them. And yes, that's how Dr. Davis and I, I'm going to call you Dr. Davis today, um, <laughs> how, how we know one another. And um, I'm just so humbled by your time. I did want to ask, did you, so excuse my ignorance, but do you have to, when you become, uh, are you a, ther- a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist? And do you have particular um, focuses or do you have to get like a fellowship in pediatric help or how does that all work? Okay. Um, so I actually have several degrees. I have a master's degree in professional counseling and then I have, (laughs) and then I have a master's degree and a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. And then I also actually have a postdoctoral certification, um, in health psychology. Um, so I have various um, actual specialties. Mm. Um, I, my doctorate was originally children and adolescent is actually the specialty I got my degree in. Um, but in many years of working in the field, if you work with kids, you have to work with their, their families and the adults. So I actually do service all ages. Okay. Um, talk to me a little bit about that, not to interject, but you know, if you're working with kids, talk to me a little bit about, about that relationship? How do you, because that's one of the things that we need to talk about if sometimes parents see, oh, my kid is doing X, Y, and Z. How do you navigate that dynamic? Um, many a times, a lot of times for kids, the their behaviors and what's happening, especially for younger kids, it's a symptom of usually a bigger issue that's happening systemically within the whole system of the family okay. um, that's going on. There's no way that I can treat one person without necessarily treating the entire family. Mm. A system works where we impact the system, the system impacts us. Mm. So even if, even for adults, when you do therapy with them and one person, because of what they're learning and they're going back to interact differently within their home, they, it still changes the whole entire family as a result. And so a lot of times when I come into households with families and talk about it with children and adolescents, I'm very direct in saying, here's the deal. It's not just your kid. I'm not just going here to treat them. It's not just going to be, they have to make the change. Everybody has to work together and we have to be in a partnership of being able to assist and help and for the improvement of that, of your child, but in turn will also impact and improve the family. So I love that. I mean, it's a holistic, syner- synergistic, right, to your to your company's, mm-hmm. uh, the synergetic. Um, w- can we take, you know, not to name names, can we just workshop this a little bit? Because I, I'm just thinking of moms, right, stuck with kids um, or, you know, moms, dads, single parents, whomever, stuck with kids, no school. Um, they're either not working or because they've been laid off. They're not working because they stay at home. They're working. Try- like, there's a lot of stress going Going on right now. So could we pick maybe a, a prior example and workshop 
that. So give me an example. So like mom, dad calls you and says, hey, my kid's really this. And you say, oh, I can help with that. Have me into your home. So then you come and you lay it out to dad or whatever. So let's just, let's take an example um, of something that you see kind of often and maybe a little more anxiety focused because of this time. Um, And let's just call him Barry. Um, you know, you little Barry and, and let's, let's workshop this. Tell me the process. So usually, um, someone will call me and they say that they need a referral and usually it starts off with the kid and I'll go, okay, sounds great. Um, who calls I'll go you? Ahead and who calls them. you for the referral? Parents. It, okay. it doesn't matter which, either one of the parents. Um, I get a lot of referrals from psychiatrists in the area also, okay. um, who's like, no, no, I got the perfect therapist who needs, you know, you need to go see, um, and so I'll get the call and I'll set it up and schedule. The first appointment is always the initial appointment where I'm gathering a lot of information and assessment. And so for many times, if it's kids, I'll send like a parent questionnaire ahead of time to get some information. And so I'm gathering not only what brought them there, but I need to gather family background, mm-hmm. what else is happening, who lives in the home, who doesn't, who works, what type of work that they do. Because uh, many times, I will tell you, um, I have a large number of um, clients where the parents are doctors, mental health providers, you know, and so they're in the healthcare field. Uh. So right now for these kids, you don't have just them worried about COVID-19 in general. You have them also worried about parents who are treating, you know, um, COVID-19 patients who are, you know, are in the healthcare. So their anxiety is even more heightened than just, you know, even the general kids in the general population, you know, for right now. And so I, those, those things are important because I need to check in with them. I also check in with my parents because I need to know what their stress level is like. So you're going to find that I'm going to ask, so how do you deal with stress? And many parents like women, why are you asking about me? Because you are children's first idea of how to deal with stress. So if you're not managing your stress correctly, at what point are we thinking that the kids are going to handle theirs correctly? Yeah. So I have yeah. to get a very good overall picture of what's going on. And it also helps me in what I call joining the family mm. in a sense, uh, because I have to come into what is the culture they're in. Mm. And when I develop and look at interventions and how to work with them, it needs to fit for what that individual family culture and dynamic is. And so I have to join. So we talk about it's a partnership. It's me, you know, coming in with you guys. It's me learning, you know, about who you are. It's me developing things that's going to work for you because what works for one family is not going to work for another family. Yeah. So I have to learn about kind of everybody, (laughs) siblings too. (laughs) Have you seen, so let's just take that dynamic of little Barry being the son of, you know, a nurse and an ER doctor, mm-hmm. or even a mate, let's just a maintenance worker. Okay. Maintenance right. worker mm-hmm. in one of the hospitals, right? What are some good ways that one, what do we need to be aware of with little Barry that is, Hey, this is, this is on the point of where I need professional help. Like what's kind of like healthy, healthy or immature micro, uh, micro coping, coping mechanisms, First, and then when does, if it transitions into what we need to get you to come into the house? So one of the things in looking at one, I, we would need to identify what a, a barrier in the age, in a 
consent okay. because developmentally, we need to know what's developmentally appropriate for a particular child at a particular age and what is not. Um, and, and you're looking at signs of red flag is one, if your child starts acting outside of their personality, no matter what they're acting out is, something's up, something's wrong. Many times people wait until it gets really, really bad before coming to ask for help from the mental health community. Okay. The thing is, if you come when it's small, it's so much e easier for us to deal with because we don't only just, the coping skills and things that we give are gonna help for multiple things. So as things build, we're gonna know. But if your kid, their personality definitely is changing. If they start to be a little secretive about things okay. and you know, um, and they're hiding away, pulling back, Sometimes it's listen to your kids. I am not going to tell you the many times that I get kids who've been asking for therapy for one or two years mm. and the parents have not taken them to therapy. No kid wakes up and say, I want therapy huh. just huh. for fun. If they're telling you they want therapy, please bring them to us. Pat. Please figure out a way to make it work because it's that important. Do you often see parents... Like they think that it's a sign of their weakness or failure to get help. There's a stigma. Yeah. I, I guess like part of this conversation is I want to kind of release the stigma of your failure. You're not doing things wrong. Your kids are, you know, jacked up. They'll never be a success. Blah, blah, blah. I just like, I, I just want to pull the veil back that there is, you know, for me, if I can't do it, I need help. Like for me, this whole thing is like, I need a community. I need a village. I need, cause there's, I'm really good at some things, but you're awesome at mental wellness. So if I can't handle it, I'm going to come talk to you. Right. Yeah. So and tell me about that. that. Is, there is something I find a lot of times that of why I have to join with the parents. And that's usually the first like wall that I have to knock down mm -hmm. of seeking out mental health is not saying that you're weak or you don't. I mean, if you need, if you have a heart condition, aren't you going to go to a cardiologist? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like then we don't. And it, it's so funny because I, um, I do a monthly, um, blog post for a women's, um, a women's Facebook group called Tiana's Tea. And the, one of the first ones that I did, I was looking at, cause it's all women. And it was talking about the statistics statistically from the American Psychological Association, it has been found that men, when they finally say they want help, will go directly to a mental health professional. Women will not. <laughs> Women will go everywhere else but to a mental health, which was shocking to me because most time we think about men won't go, you know, we got to drag them. But the beautiful part is at least once they go, they go to the right person versus taking, they, at least they direct with it versus us women, because it's going to mean, and I think it comes from that guilt of, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not this. Like I tell them like, um, you know, some of the songwriters lied about us being misindependent and being these super women and thinking that we can do this all on our own. That is not true. That is not how we were made. That's not how God made us. We were made to be interdependent, which means understanding when you need to be dependent, independent and when you need to be dependent and how to balance between the two. So it's looking at and working with that. So I tell parents a lot of times, look, here's the deal. With what you were trying to do to handle the situation, you did the best that you can with the information that you had. Yeah. Your intention was not to make things worse, it was to make things better. But you didn't have the education that you needed to get them to where they need to be. Yeah. 
I have the education to teach you and to teach them to get them to where they need to be. It's not a reflection of you because we can't be responsible for what we don't know, but we need to be able to be okay and comfortable with reaching out to find, to say, hey, I need help. Please assist me. It's okay. Do you think one of the silver linings of this global pandemic is it has brought us so much to our knees that we're like, oh, hey, I'm around my kids a lot. I'm around my partner a lot um, or I'm by myself a lot. And like, I need to work through some of the stuff. I think it has, but I still think people are not reaching out. Mm. Mental health is still being underutilized. Like, I mean, I just got off a meeting with all, you know, a lot of our directors over various parts of the state. Like we are meeting clients and it's not, it's okay. Cause I mean, Hey, our dream goal for us mental health professionals be that everybody would be so emotionally secure that we need, we're no longer, put us yeah, out of a job. Obsolete, right? <laughs> Retire but we early. know that's not, right. Yeah. But we know that's not the case. I just read about one of the top officials in New York who, you know, who's treating, who just committed suicide. Why? Because as these professionals, nobody's reaching out. And so that has been my huge thing. like, because everybody keeps saying, when this is over, we're going to need mental health. No, you need mental health now while you're going through please stop waiting we are here we are willing to help there are many professionals who are if it's finances don't let that stop you we have places where you get low income we have different we have people offering you know free reduced services like it is this is not mental health going hey we're not we're out there we're essential we have not stopped working yeah at all, you know, we have been going and we want to, you know, to be able to help and provide services. We don't want these type of stories. Yes. You know, and that's just only the one of many stories of suicide that I'm hearing about um, because the rates are going up. So actually, God is so good because the whole, I heard that about 30 minutes ago, uh, I would say about 10 minutes before our call. And I was like, I have to talk to Dr. Davis about this because I too, literally on my notes is avoid PTSD. How do we avoid post-traumatic stress syndrome for our kids, our healthcare workers, everybody? And I, so let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into that because I know that people are exhausted, right? I think for me, one of my coping things is I'm exhausted. So how am I coping with my exhaustion, my mental, emotional exhaustion? How am I going to help fix things? How the economy, there's still no testing, like, (gasps) right? The influx of news, et cetera, trying to be a good mom to my two girls. I'm eating, right? So I'm like, you know, so there's some, okay, how do I avoid the judgment? But let's, let's, let's be real with like the the PTSD and like the coping. What are some things I need to be really practical and like, I know this is a little bit generic, but is there a five to 10 minute routine that someone at the end of their day, at the beginning of their day can Take 10 breaths or what could you recommend as a tool for people to just decompress? Do they need it? You know, sometimes taking a walk is not an option. I don't have that option. Right. Right. Like, so could you give me some ideas for tools? Sure. And and here's the deal. This it's going to look different for every person. Cause if you're not a morning person, don't get up trying to do this stuff in the morning. Cause it's just not going to work. Right. If you're a night owl, that's going to be your area. So you <laughs> do have to figure out and definitely individualize what's going to happen. Keeping some sort of structure or routine, because a lot of people are out of what's a routine. And I'm not saying it has to be as strict as it is when the kids are in school, where it's like from seven to eight, this eight to nine, but you need something that's going for me. I 
I wake up at four and 5 a.m. in the morning. Everybody thinks I'm crazy, but it's because I need those two hours to be for me. I care for people for the rest of the day. So I got to first care for myself because I can't care for you if I don't take care of me. And what does you know, that look so, like? So what does that look like for so you, Dr. Davis? I get up in the morning. Um, I'm drinking a smoothie because I have to have something in my stomach before I work out. I am doing my devotion. I have a whole devotion time. I do a prayer time, you know, as I'm getting ready. And then I'm um, an hour after I'm up, I'm actually working out, you know, and I complete my workouts in the morning, you know, um, then I'm eating and I do it with my household. Even though I live with adults, I still need time where I don't want to talk to nobody and be around anybody. So they're asleep. So it's also a time like they kind of stay in their rooms, you know, even if they're awake kind of deal, because I just need that time of just a moment. I talk all day. So sometimes where I can just be and don't have to talk, it's great. And so that's what works, you know, what works for me. If I don't like, I missed my workout three days last week due to work stuff. And I was like, <laughs> by the end of the week, I was like, help me, Man, you know, and I, and, you know, because it's such an integral part. So exercise is really important in looking at that. Eating properly and healthy. I'm, y'all. If y'all look in the dictionary for emotional eating, my face is there with a big smile. I'm raising you know, my hand. Yep. So totally get it. And everybody's like the COVID fifteen and all this <laughs> stuff going on. But what I have come to realize, and you know, is. I got to get back on track with my eating. My, my fitness coach is going to be so proud um, to hear this, but getting back on track and looking at it because it does. So those moments when I have had those moments where the lemon Oreos are like the best thing ever. The next day though, after I had that momentarily of instant gratification, yeah. the next day and what it did to my body and my emotions, it wasn't worth it. You know? And so sometimes it's having to remember that. So I've done where, Yes, I'm still having a snack attack and I'm trying to deal with that. So I've gone to like, I'll go get grapes. I'm probably in this store like two, three times a week because I'm getting grapes. I'm doing fruit. I'm, I'm choosing something different in a healthier way until I can get to now going, you know, because I don't have the time to go during the day to exercise. If I could go take a walk during the day, that would be, that would be so great. But I don't live in that magical land where I, my schedule allows that. Yeah. And I'm grateful for those who do and have it. But finding that talking we a lot of times we think not talking um you know about talking about what's going on is like the best thing just try to ignore that's not but the caveat is knowing who to talk to okay you know in a degree and I say that because I found with a couple of my healthcare workers they were using their kids like they were teenagers so they could kind of handle a little bit more Mm. to talk and they're like yo I can't take this. I can't take hearing the stories of the hospital. Like, you know, and so, you know, I had to talk to them, like, let's talk to your mom, let's, you know, and helping them work through how to communicate and say, I can't be the one to talk to you about that. I need you to go somewhere else. And this is where therapy offers that place to where you don't become, you know, letting your mom, you know, excuse me, letting, you know, your family be in that source. And it's funny that the word mom popped up. So give you an example of that. My mom, um, talks about uh she says I'm the reason she has the alopecia <laughs> and not the cancer that did it Rude. and and it really comes from uh what I did in home type of services and stuff in Chicago mm. and if anyone understands the crime rate and what that is like and I was all over in some of the worst neighborhoods like they had to give me clearance to go into the neighborhoods like I and oh, I wow. am a venter mm. so I am one that I just need to vent stuff out you ain't even got to pay attention you can just have pay attention but my mom being my mom, you know, mama 
paid total attention. Yeah, she loved And you. I didn't realize that with the stories I was telling, how it was traumatizing mm. her until one day, it, I don't, it was something clicked one day and I realized and I was like, oh, she can't be the one that I need to vent to. I need to turn to my peers. I need to turn to someone else, you know, looking at that way. Also developing some type of routine to separate out, especially right now with yes. everybody working from Tell home. Tell me more. First off, you need to designate one area in your house that's your work area. Okay. It needs not to be, work should not be all over the house. It not should be in different. And if you can, it all are possible. But I know people, some people can't. Bedroom, even if it's in your bedroom, one area of your bedroom, please be able to separate it out. You still need to take, have a cutoff time of being able to walk away from work and to start work. You, you know, people are finding that they're working way more than they normally would, you know, because they're at home. You need to have that separation. At lunch, go take a break. Even for my kids who are doing homeschooling, we have that is stated if it's lunchtime, you know, and they're pausing from that, they can't do lunchtime and do work at the same time. They need a break from that. They need a break from the electronics. They can't even in their break time, like play a game or video game on the iPad because they just need a moment to get away from the technology. So creating that separation also from this will also help. I'm hearing a lot for me just about boundaries. Right. So if mom is a maintenance worker or a nurse and she needs to create a boundary of, okay, when I leave the hospital, I need to leave that there. That doesn't mean that I can't vent or have a conversation, but the boundary doesn't need to be, I need to protect my kid, right? Protect my home. Let that be my sanctuary. So who can I vent to? I maybe need to vent to a colleague, right? Or maybe I call a friend on a phone uh, and have an adult conversation. So I'm just hearing a lot about boundaries and, you know, setting yes. your kids up for success where you have to keep in mind that school has, you know, one class and then the second class and then a lunch break and then a outside time. And, you know, that's that's relevant from, you know, preschool to to college. Right. Where you have these these segments. So I'm hearing a lot about like healthy boundaries. Um yes parents being really intentional and cognizant about with whom they're speaking um, and expressing their frustration. Because my mom and I are extremely close as well. I would do the exact same thing you did with your mom. I'd be like, oh, mom. But, you know, you have to be have to be thoughtful about what are you putting onto somebody else and can they actually exactly. bear that right and when if you're exactly. if you're venting to a 12 year old or a 15 year old can they really bear that you know i mean their their life is upended i'm i'm thinking about kids that are graduating from college or high school who have no prom no high school graduation right you've got younger kids who are like <gasps> You know, oh, maybe I can drink bleach and then the coronavirus will go away. Like you you don't know what they hear. You don't know what they internalize because they don't necessarily yes. have the skills, the communication skills to to say, hey, mom, you know, I really understand that you're frustrated. But when you come home and vent to me about the 12 people that you had to put on ventilators today, I can't emotionally handle that as an eight year old. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, parents have to be. I feel like it's more work, but they just have to open up their eyes and say, what am I putting on to my kid to have them act out or, you know, start being violent or whatever. So I guess I want to take some preemptive action. You know, I wanted to talk about 
addiction in terms of Mm -hmm. uh, alcohol, prescription drugs, recreational drugs. Have you seen an increase in that or is that going to happen after everybody like hits rock bottom and all of that? No, it's actually happening now. Um, I was speaking to one of the VPs for our company and he was talking about he had a conversation with the Pinellas Sheriff's Department and um, they stated they have seen a very large increase in domestic violence calls to homes for all ages and majority of those have been due to alcohol. Um, So people are turning to alcohol and we're, you know, partying up and partially because Alcohol is the easiest thing to get to right now. Right. So even people are and you know, bored, not doing, you know, and they're finding that they're increasing, you know, using this. Um, the problem is when we turn to substances um, to be able to use as a coping skill, because I'm pretty sure majority of people are using it as a coping skill. They're not just, you know, um, doing it just to do it you lend yourself that you're going to start to use it more. You know, people who turn to alcohol and they're like, oh, it's going to help me sleep better. Actually, alcohol actually causes you, um, it causes the sleep disruption. So yeah, you're fall asleep, but you're not going to have restful sleep when you, and, you know, and stay asleep. So we're also using all of these different things, you know, to try to cope and it's not, you know, it's not beneficial. So this is where we need to look at that limit. You know, I always say my rule of thumb, and it's just my personal rule of thumb, you know, it's just kind of like, I turn to like, if I, if I am a super stressed, that's when I definitely am not going to engage in like a glass of wine or something like that, because I never want my brain to start to have the automatic association of stress equals now go do that which is mm-hmm. why I'm trying to break it up with the food. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, it's the same type it's the of same thing. It's Sugar. The same thing. Yep. Yeah. Same, all of that. Yes. But yeah. I, you know, I also want to, so my whole thing is, and I agree. I, I think that that's really important. You know, you don't want the association to be um, super stressed, had a really bad day. And therefore the only way that I can relieve steam is, um, you know, smoke some weed, uh, have some alcohol, uh, eat a box of donuts, you know, whatever it is. What I want to get from you is if that does happen, like you have a bad night, okay, you drink a bottle of wine or you, I don't know, take a Xanax or I don't even know what that does. What is that? It relaxes you, Xanax relaxes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Or again, you drink, eat a box of donuts, Intamin frosted donuts I love. How do you restart your day the next day? Because I just feel like the judgment and the shame is the enemy, right? Like we're in this... Judgment, judgment, judgment. And we need to be delivered. I think that this whole thing is about deliverance of self, deliverance of community that we need each other. Let's kind of shift to, all right, we need to be cognizant. Let's open our eyes. We're tired. If you're tired, go to sleep. Uh, If you think you're super stressed, don't binge on whatever. And But you do, okay? How do you restart your day? What is the self-talk that you like to tool your, your people with? So that they can start new. I uh, recently was able to um, work with a great therapist and learn dialectical behavior therapy, and which has been really great. Um, and this is what I've been using uh, with a lot of my clients, especially right now, because it lends to the skills that's helping with thinking with this very thing that you're talking about. Because one of the major major um, concepts of DBT is non-judgmental. Huh. Being non-judgmental, not only towards others, but towards ourselves even more than yeah. others. 
Well, that's where it starts, right? Because if you judge yeah. yourself, I mean, that's just me. If I'm, I'm, I, if I judge myself, I'm judging other people for sure. So talk to yeah. me a little bit more about DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. Yes. It was originally created for people who have borderline personality disorder. But since then, um, Marsha Linehan, if you want to go research more. Um, but since then, a lot of research in her institute has done a lot of research to show that it works with a lot of other um, types of diagnoses. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, I think everybody should learn these skills um, because even myself in learning the skills, it I found myself transforming different areas of my own personal life. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, this really is great. It really works. It's really, you know, because it's skills. It's literally these skills and helping you of how to deal with situations. And um, and one whole section is on distress tolerance. Mm-hmm. We're in a situation that we cannot get out of. At times we want to be able to, like you talk about, get out of the situation, change your environment, do all these things. We can't do that right now. You're quarantined. Where are you going to go? You know, if you get in a fight with your husband... You can't go nowhere. You, you, go, to you, know, you go to the your kids, like, you, oh no, they'll try to find you there. You know, you try to hide places. I mean, you laugh. I have people that are doing their therapy sessions in their cars to get away from kids. And I get, and I'm okay with it because they're needing to, you know, figure it out, but we can't really get out of it. And so it lends to these skills of teaching us how to tolerate and what skills to use when you're under stress and you can't get out of and like I said and being non-judgmental you know and it talks about literally when we when we're working on some skill or something and we have a setback falter whatever you want to call it the goal is not to because here's what we do so I'm working on my emotional eating me I, I give in I go buy those lemon oreo cookies well when I'm done now the guilt creeps in and what am I going to do Oh, I can't believe you did that again. Why did you do that again? Chandra, what is wrong with you? Like, oh my God, you're so, and we focus on this whole failure thing that we just did. Yeah. DBT teaches that you don't do that part. Mm. Like, you know, when you realize that you're doing whatever that, you know, inappropriate behavior is, you just get back on track. We don't bring attention. We don't go, girl, why you do that? We don't, you just, Oh, we know the plan to get back on track and get back on track and move on. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's like full yeah. stop. Okay. All right. Make better decisions yeah. tomorrow. Like t- tomorrow's a new day, yeah. right? What are you going to do about you yesterday? You keep saying tomorrow. See, I challenge people quit saying tomorrow oh. and then the next minute. We're oh. only one decision away from every single minute and choice that we make. I love that. So Because we do that. I mean, think about it. I'm going to start that diet on Monday. I'm going to start this. Duh, 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 duh. Like we always know. The yep. next moment, what am I going to do in this next moment that's going to work towards what I want and to get back on track? So let's take another example. I'm a mom. I'm working in healthcare provider. I come home and I, my kid does something dumb and I want to hit them, right? I, I'm so whatever. How can I stop myself or my spouse or my partner, whatever? I just want to violently release, Right. How do you, what do you do with that? With DBT, you know, you hit your kid. What do you, what do you do? Do you apologize? Like, what does that look like? Okay. Well, I hear a couple of things in there. One, we, I'm talking about in the boundaries of transitioning. I'm very much, and I teach a lot of my parents and talking about that you have to transition from work mode to like mommy mode. Okay. 
you need that time. Like for some people, it's developing with some type of ritual that is your switch over kind of deal, whether it's on the drive home or when you get home, this is TV time. Put them on that movie that you know they're not going to move for. So you can take 30 second minutes to like whatever it is. I, for me, when I used to drive back and forth to Sunshine Bridge, it used to be the Sunshine Bridge for me, the top of the bridge. Mm. I couldn't, once I got to the top, I had to stop thinking about work. I don't care. Even my venting, if I was in the middle of venting, I would stop dead sentence and let it go and mm. keep going. I would not think about work until I got to the top of the bridge. I even got on my uh, supervisor one day for calling me about a situation before I got to the top of the bridge. I said, are you, we know we talked about my self-care and what this is. And you're on the phone with this situation that is not even that in a that couldn't wait till I got to all you know, yeah. and being very deliberate. So create some ritual. I have some people that use a song. I was going to say that. I would jam. A, mm-hmm. Yeah. They have a song that's their transition that gets them over. Whatever it is that helps you to transition, because sometimes, unfortunately, our poor kids, they don't get just whatever that, you know, bad thing they did in a moment. They get not only the bad thing they did, but they did get what your boss did, the person, the person who cut you off on your drive home. They get all of this other stuff from the day. If we don't learn to separate out and take a moment to check in with ourselves and get our feelings under control. But say, you know, you did and it happens and you ended up yelling at your kid, you know, or doing something. It's okay to, after you come back, to go back, have a conversation with your kid and apologize. You know, um, I had one thing tell me, I'll never apologize to my kid. What? If you're clearly wrong and the kid sees you wrong, they're going to lose all respect for you. Like this very thing that you're thinking of is not, it's working against you, not for you. We all make mistakes. We are not perfect. And so a lot of our parents, we talk about like saying, hey, I'm working on this. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. So even in therapy, we talk about the kids are working on stuff. My parents are working on things too. And so they learn that it's okay to say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I was really upset about something else. You can't, I didn't take my time to go do my coping skill before entering in. So you got what you shouldn't have gotten. And I apologize for that. Yeah. You know, and they have just a conversation about it and being able to work through. Because if you're not using your coping skills, your kid's not going to use coping skills either. I mean, it's true, right? And it's, you know, we talk about generational curses, right? We talk about, and I, you know, how do you break those chains, right? How do you break those chains of abuse? How do you break those uh, chains of like uh, poverty mentality? How do you break those chains of racism? How do you break those chains of bigotry? All of that, you know, it, it, we're not all perfect, right? Like God wants our progress and our process and our perfection. And I think that if, if we can identify, me as a parent, if I can identify, okay, there's some stuff that I really just don't want to give my girls, and I know it's baked into me, right? Like the judgment. I don't want my girls that, and I don't want, I've got some fear in my heart, got some fear in my life. I don't want them to have fear. I don't want them to live in that. So that's my stuff that I need to make a daily decision about. And when I fail, I need to apologize. Like the other day, I, I snapped at my three-year-old. And I was like, you know what? Mama didn't need to talk to you that way. I'm so sorry. Like, I love you so much. And, you know, will you will you accept my apology that I, I need to talk to you? And, you know, I think we're all trying to be a little bit better. And this quarantine, this global mm-hmm. pandemic has accelerated um, or, excuse me, exacerbated all of the things all of the yeah. stress, all of the sadness, all of the joy, 
all of the, you know, frustration, whatever it is. And I just think that we need tools to cope with that. Right. And I can give you one quick one that everybody in the family can do to help with coping skills. Please. And so I call it my feel good. You can call it bag box, whatever you guys decide to put it in. Um, I've had families that I had one family that really went and built boxes wooden boxes and stuff. It was amazing. They were great. They were beautiful. Um, But what it is, is you're going to sit out and you take, and you're going to take five things that you place into this bag box or what have you. And each of these five things are going to hit on the five senses. Okay. Um, Sight, smell, you know, taste all of the different five senses. Now with smell get sprays, let's not do, you know, you know, one tissue candles and fire, you know, there's always my caveat. Safe smells. you know, aromatherapy, there's some, a lot of oils. There's some other stuff out there. We don't have to go directly to fire. Um, and there's, even when we talk about food, my other caveat is with food. If it's not to say research has shown that chocolate can help, you know, with certain things. But it needs to be like the miniatures, not the big, don't not go the bar. Out, like, right, don't go to Thomas and Dave, like David said, and y'all go buy these huge bars. Okay, you know, responsible chocolate consumption. Yeah, for me, it's actually mints because I like the way the mint and the feels. The and chocolate the mint, Andy's mints, mm-hmm. York peppermint no, patties. Oh. Just peppermint. Mint. Oh, just, just peppermint. All right. Yeah, I don't like chocolate mint. I know. Okay. Oh. Side note, but you put them in the bag and every person in the family has one of these bags. Okay. And you, or boxes in developing. You have it somewhere in, like everybody's is kept in a certain area all together. So that when anybody needs and they feel, including mom and dad and parents, mm-hmm. needs to go cope, you go to that and pull it and you go take it so you can, and you have all your coping skills right there, right there together, you know, mm-hmm. and that you can go and do that. And I'm telling you, it has transformed so many of my families of doing it, even the parents, because they were like, they know. And the funny part is kids learn it. So even when the parents need a moment, they don't bother. You know how usually they're like knocking on the door? The kids learn like, oh, they're needing to use their coping skills. So I'm going to go do something quietly by myself. And they even let the parents alone, you know, during that time because they're understanding, oh, they're upset. And so they're doing what they need to do to go handle that. And you get where you don't have as much as this bickering stuff. So it's the feel good box. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I think that that's super fun. That's like a good activity too. Yeah. And it's fun because you can decorate, mm. you can get bags. You can, like I said, I had one family was father, a single father with two boys. Mm. They actually took a day and they literally made wooden boxes and they engraved it and decorated it. And they, right. And lacquered it. So they made it a very, like this very long term, really. And they took so much pride, you know, within this box, you know, and stuff. So you can't teach me a new tricks. I'm telling y'all, you know, well, it's a treasure, right? Like your mental wellness yeah. is a treasure. I think that, yeah. I think that that's the moral of the story is like your mental wellness is a treasure and mental wellness, um, it, just overall safety. I do want to kind of transition into you're seeking help or you're not where, what is the fine line of, Hey, you know, we can deal with this on ourselves, and you know what? We need intervention. We need um, the police. We need a social worker. What? So wh- what is that? What is that line? So for me, m- most of the times it is definitely I'm always open to like try what you can, you know, if you don't have to um, with things or sometimes just go get an assessment and we'll tell you if you definitely need us or not, you know, like we're not going to have you in treatment if you don't need to be in okay. treatment Okay, very much. So sometimes I've been able to work with families two times and giving them what they needed. So it's not that okay. it always has to be this 
long drawn out, long term type of situation. But you have to figure out. I kind of say, you know, you know, asking yourself, is what I'm doing effective? And it's, that's actually another DBT principle. Is what's happening and what's going on and what I've tried, is it effective? Mm. If it's effective and it's working, okay, you're yeah. good to go. But if you're finding that you're doing this and it's not working, you try this and it's not working, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Mm. Why keep running into the wall when you can go to someone who can give you like, hey, a better plan and develop and say, here's what you need to do. Here's what I recommend or let's partner together to figure out what's going to work for you guys, you know, to so that you can. And so there's no exact where it's not. But again, if you definitely at a point where you may have to call or if you're finding yourself so enraged that you're almost like, you know, violent or or, right. That's a sign that you definitely need help. And you probably have waited, you know, way too long. Again, this it's easier if y'all can come and ask us for help and ask for assistance and get it early on. Like I said, I've assessed people now said, no, your kid is good. You know, there's no depression, you know, there's not, here's what's going on. You got a teenager and they got all attitude, you know, like, I hear you, like we're going to tell you whether yeah. it's welcome to having a teenager versus no, there's something seriously wrong or, okay. you know, we'll tell you what those things are, you know, with it, but it's, it's okay to just go, you know, like at times you go to the doctor, you, don't you go get a checkup? Yes. Don't ma'am. you get like a yearly physical? Sometimes I think like, why? Can't you go get, do a mental health check-in, check-up? I think that's so smart. You know, just be like, hey, let me just go check in, see if what I'm going through, right, is mm-hmm. okay. Or if I need to, like, talk to somebody a couple of times. I think that that's your point about, you know, we can meet once or twice, right? Like, you don't need to be with me every week or every month. I think fi- people financially can't pull that off time-wise, right? You know, I think one of the things about the silver lining of the quarantine is, you know, telehealth, right? I'm sure you're doing a lot of sessions on Zoom or Skype or FaceTime or whatever, just however you can get a hold of people. I think that we have to demystify the fact that you need an hour sitting on a couch in front of a person that you have to drive 45 minutes to. No, it's not that. And I, as you said earlier, you know, the the financial obligation, you know, there is help for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And I think often, you know, I want to go back to your point about when men need, need help, they go directly to professional. I think women like to go to their friends so that they can commiserate because they just want someone to tell them, oh, you're okay, you're not crazy, or oh, okay, you're you're not as broken as I am, when actually that person just wants to be your friend. They don't want you to be the best person that you can be. I mean, they do, but they don't know the, the delineation, right? They don't right. know how to tool you necessarily. They're working from their own bag of tricks versus how many years have you been in school, Dr. Davis, to be like, okay, actually – there are a couple things and just make these teeny tiny little tweaks and you will be living your best life, you know, and going to mental health does not equate. I'm crazy. Correct. I think that's one of those major stigmas that people have. That's like, no, uh, -uh. like, you know, I'm not going to give you a diagnosis. You don't need a diagnosis. Be honest with you. I don't even diagnose most of the time. The only time, you know why we're doing most diagnosis because insurance requires us to, (laughs) if you go to providers that don't accept insurance, don't even need it. No label here. Well, honestly, my husband and I, we see somebody once a month and it's just, it's just a check-in. I'm a child of divorce. I want to get ahead of it. If there's some issues, let's kick the tires. Right. And I think that that, I think that that's so good. And it's just nice to have an objective third party. That's not a friend or family member, 
right? I, I'm not going to have mental health conversations with randos on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. I'm going to talk to somebody that I can actually pour life into me and, and pour goodness into me and perspective. Because I think that that's all yeah. we're, that we're really just looking for, right? Yeah. I think we just, just need a little help. Um, and I'm so grateful for your time today. The one last question I wanted to ask was for this topic was, how do we get to healing? Big question. It is. I was like, um, that, that's, that's it. Last question. Oh, wow. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it begin? And like, where, how do we get to healing? Dr. Davis. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. So my post that I read that I wrote yesterday was talking about grief and the issues of grief during this time, because people are not being able to say goodbye to loved ones. They're mm-hmm. also not being able to attend funerals and just, you know, where that is, um, um, so I think it's very poignant to where we are right now with a lot of different things, because there is a lot of hurt. There's a lot of things going on, even for these kids who did graduation, so they're not going on. There's a lot of loss that is happening also right now, not even just physical loss. Um, and so I think first is, I think there's a level of acceptance that you have to get to of accepting that, hey, for whatever the, the you know, the hurt was and, you know, that you're experiencing. Um, and then being willing to face that, you know, because many times, and we're talking about with like, even with PTSD, all these different things and anxiety, our natural human instinct is to avoid, to block, to run, to not deal with it. So for healing to begin, you have to face whatever you're healing from straight on. And that's where therapy becomes a really great goal of being able to help you and being able to, in a safe, environment and that's what therapy offers it offers safe it offers that you can leave it there with that person for that you know one hour or whatever length of time you're having therapy with them and walk out the door and you don't have you come back to it you know the next week you know you don't have to keep carrying it around throughout the week you get to fall apart right then and there and so I think that's where you have to you have to be able to recognize that you need healing you have to recognize what you need healing from being willing to face that healing and do the work because therapy is work. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's not. I'm not going to sit up here and tell you guys that every time that you walk out of the therapist's office, it's going to be sunshine and rainbows because it's not. Some of the most pivotal sessions you walk out, you know, feeling a little bit, you know, worse than better. I always say you get worse before and not because they've done anything because they made you face that you have been trying to avoid all this time. And so you have to be ready to walk through that and have the correct support system also to help you because we never can take you through that process of healing and doing that if you don't have the right support system because this is where then you can fall into substance use addiction uh, all of these other things because you don't have the right infrastructure you know we also have to first teach you coping skills and how to cope as we take you through that healing process and so so I think that's where it starts at you know just being able to recognize saying I need help and being willing to face and go get the help my deepest prayer is that this and my true belief is this this pandemic has laid us all bare brought us all to the same level in a global scale, same level for us to give us the opportunity to rebuild ourselves, to rebuild a community, to look at people in, in different socioeconomic situations, to look different, the racism, the like just to lay us all bare and be like, we are human 
beings and we need each other. And for me to be the best person in the world, I have to first be the best me. And I love that. Just face it and use this opportunity to rebuild, you know, define the new strive, right? Like I, I'm not going to survive anymore. I'm going to strive and thrive. Right. And, and that is what for me, this pandemic has done, laid me bare, put all my crap out and rebuild. Thank you, Dr. Davis. I am so grateful for you. Last bit. How can people find you? Um, you can definitely find me um, at my website, um, which is davissynergeticdevelopment.com. Um, I am on um, social media on Instagram and Twitter, Dr. Shan Walks, D-R-S-H-A-N-W-A-L-K-S um, is my handle on both of those. Um, Davis Energetic Development also is on both Instagram and um, Twitter. And so you can find me there. Um, and Yeah. I'm not hard to find. I'm easy. Well, we're grateful for you. Thank you for your openness and your service. And I hope you have such a blessed day. Thank you. It's been an honor. Pleasure. Bye. All right. Well, that was Dr. Shandra Davis. I hope that you feel seen, celebrated, even in your process, even in your junk, even in the struggle that you are celebrated for just getting up and choosing one good decision at a time, right? That in that there is love in that there is growth in that there is hope in that and there is joy. Um, You know, mental wellness, mental health is the best thing that you can do for yourself, give you the tools, break some chains, empower you, and help you cope. So if any of this that Dr. Davis and I chatted about resonates with you, reach out to people in your community. I also just wanted to add how much I love that Dr. Davis doesn't pretend to have it all figured out, that she too is in process, that, you know, during this really intense time, she sometimes needs lemon Oreos to get her through it, that her coping mechanisms, that the, the things that she struggles with, do rear its head and that she has enough grace and enough determination to say, you know what, this next decision is the best decision that I'm going to make. So just keep that in mind. Even the trained professionals, no one has arrived. We're all in process. We just have to keep moving, keep making better decisions little by little, one decision at a time, be 1% better each day. I really appreciate that humility and transparency and vulnerability with us. Thanks, Dr. D. So I hope that you are having such a good day. I hope that this puts a little like, I hope it gives you a little sigh of relief. Like, okay, everybody's okay. I, you know what? I, I, there's some tools and I'm going to try this. I'm going to ask myself, um, is what I'm doing effective? Is this judgment that I'm giving myself, is that effective? Is it eating the box of donuts or the chips ahoy or whatever it is, or drinking the ball of wine or having, you know, way too many Xanax or, weed or whatever it is. Um, is that serving me? Is that uplifting me? It's time to start to pick our heads up from this pandemic and say, okay, I need a little help. That makes me stronger. That makes me better. And I want to exit this quarantine like a total badass, 
fit, like the warrior princess that I am, that God has made me to be. And that requires some support. And for me to look myself in the mirror and to deal with some things, to let go of some things, no more guilt, no more shame. That's the, that's the lies of the enemy, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, whatever it is. That's not the grace and love that I know and I've experienced. So be good, behave yourself, put on a little lipstick and fold some laundry or just walk around the neighborhood and strut because you're fabulous, you're loved, you're seen, you're celebrated. Be good. Bye. The last two weeks have been really, really hard for this country. I am trying to figure out how best to educate myself, listen, use this podcast and this community to how to create racial healing. I really, really believe that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. So how do we actually do that? How do we do that? I would love your ideas. This is about you. We are here to see, celebrate, and love one another. Red or yellow, black and white, they are precious in your sight. Jesus loves so many children of the world. So we're here for that.